Today's message is entitled, You Can't Cross the Sea by Staring at the Water. And the question I have is, what does that mean in our lives? Is it just a kind of a nice little wall hanging and a cute little phrase? Or is there something more there? Something that can minister to each and every one of us? I bought that plaque a couple of years ago when Karen and I were on vacation down in uh, Florida. It was in this little souvenir shop. I thought it was pretty cool. And as I was picking it out, there was an elderly gentleman came over and started a conversation with me. And uh, he said, you know, there's a lot of truth in that. He said, go up and down the coastline here and look at all the boats that are tied to the docks and the piers. And you'll see all kinds of boats. You'll see yachts. You'll see fishing boats. You'll see small pleasure craft. You'll see sailing vessels. Many of them are well-equipped, and their purpose, what they were designed to do, was to sail out into the ocean. He said, the sad fact is, not very many of them make it out very far. Some don't even make it away from the dock at all. They're just tied up there. People sit on them. They talk about this great boat they have, what it can do, where it can go. And they just sit there. They polish the deck, polish the brass. Talk about all the fine radios and radar and GPS they have. And don't use any of it. And then he said, but there's, there's a number of them. They get, out to, they get out to sea. But a lot of them never get any further than, a, they don't get it past the horizon. They don't go out any further than they can look back and see where their safe harbor is. They don't want to get too far from home. I think a lot of us are like that. God has put a calling on our life. God has given us a mission. God has equipped us. And yet, we talk about it, but what do we do besides talking? Do we really get out there and do the ministry that we've been called to? Or do we just gather and polish the brass and talk about how we're equipped with the Holy Spirit? Do we really do the work we've been called to do? I think most of us know the story of Noah. God called him to build an ark. He called him to preach to the people. Noah had a choice. Noah could sit on his porch and stare at the trees out there and wonder, I wonder how this ark will be built. But he didn't do that. He went out. Obviously, he chopped trees down. He cut logs into plank, and he began building. He began doing the work that God had called him to do. Noah was an old man, and it took hundreds of years to build that ark. And yet, when the time came, 
the floods came. And all that were saved was Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark. We go a little further in the book of Genesis and we read a story about a man named Abram and his wife Sarai. Later their names were changed. But when God called him, he said, I want you to gather up your things and I want you to head out. Where am I going? I'll show you when you get there. He believed God. And he did. He gathered up his family, his servants, and those that would go with him, and they set out for a place they didn't know where they were going. Just knowing they were being guided by God, believing in it. In the New Testament, we read where it says that that was counted as righteousness because he believed God. Because he believed. Through his life, there was many challenges. God told him, you're descendants are going to be greater than the number of sand grains in the, in the seas and greater than all the stars of heaven. Abraham was an old man. Abraham's wife was old. She was barren. And yet God performed a miracle in their life. But before that miracle was performed, Abraham and Sarah decided that, you know, God wasn't moving fast enough. God, how's this going to be? I mean, I'm getting older every day. Chances of us having a kid uh, doesn't look very good in the natural, so uh, there must be something else you have in mind. So he has a child by Sarah's handmaiden. That was not God's plan. But because they were impatient, they went ahead and did something that God did not ask them to do. And sometimes we do that. We know that God has called us to do something, but we don't understand the timing. We don't understand why hasn't it happened now. Don't you know, God, the days are short. Your word says that, that we're drawing closer to the end all the time. And if we don't get this thing going, we don't get this project moving, uh, there's not going to be enough time. It's not going to happen. God says, no, I'm in charge of the days. I'm in charge of the hours. I know my plan. My plan was from the foundations of the earth, before the foundations of the earth. I knew exactly what was going to happen, when it's going to happen. And each and every one of us is part of God's plan. Each and every one of us has been called by God. to work out his purposes, to fulfill his plans. So we need to ask God for wisdom and understanding to know what it is that he really wants us to do and to be patient and wait on his timing. But when he says it's time to go, we need to go. But what if I don't know for sure if it's God's voice. How will I really know? 
Bob had a word from the Lord this morning. And what did he share up here? He said, I just, I felt it inside. It comes with practice. It comes with listening to God and speaking out what he tells us. And yeah, sometimes we're going to make mistakes. But you know what? We're all brothers and sisters here. We're all in this together. And if we can't be bold enough to speak out, and if we can't be able to take a little corrective criticism, if, we're, if we step out and it isn't God, and one of our brothers or sisters says, you know, I mean, that was good, but I'm not really sure that that was God. Does that crush us? Does that destroy us and we never do again? My granddaughter just got a bicycle. It's got training wheels so she doesn't fall down. But there'll come a day when the training wheels will come off. And we all know what'll happen. She's gonna fall down and skin her knee. But will that stop her from riding again? How many of us have ridden horse and fallen off the horse or been bucked off? Do we walk away? Sell the horse, sell the saddle? Say, well, that was fun. Or do we get back on and say, I can do this? It's the same way with hearing the voice of God and speaking out and sharing what God's put in our heart. We just got to do it. All there is to it. We can't stare at the water. We have to step out into the water. We've got to move out with God. And God will be there with us. You know, I've got a little confession to make this morning. About a week and a half ago at an elders' meeting, Mike said, I'm going to be gone on vacation. Who would like to speak on Sunday morning? There were basically three of us that were going to be in town, Bob, Brian, and myself. I looked at two of them and I said, well, Brian, if you got something, because I ain't got anything. God's not speaking to me. I've got nothing. (laughs) Brian says, well, I don't know. So we looked at Bob and said, Bob, you can handle it. Something like that. So last Sunday morning, Bob and I were talking, and Bob says, well, what have you got from the Lord? I said, I've got nothing. I said, you better be ready. And Bob says, well, don't wait till Thursday to tell me. (laughs) During praise and worship, the Lord began speaking to me. I've got to back up and tell you that my wife was a real encouragement to me because when I came home from the elders' meeting and I said, I've got this opportunity, but I don't think I'm going to take it. She said, well, that's probably good. You've got a busy week. That was, uh, that was the encouragement I needed. It was okay to bail because she said it was okay. But during praise and worship, the Lord began speaking to me and bringing some things back to mind. It began stirring in my heart. As Mike shared about Miss Carmichael and her ministry to India and how she ministered from a bed for a vast majority of her life. 
after she had been told that she had no place in the mission field by men. And I think about Paul's journeys at what Mike preached about and the places he went, the churches he started, and the people who were there to minister to those congregations. The Lord said, I want you to speak on Sunday, and this is what I want you to share. So after church, I told Mike, I told Bob, and told Brian. And I felt a burden lift from my shoulders. Yeah, I had the challenge of digging into Scripture. I had the challenge of putting some things together. I had to take some time. It didn't take away from my time of work. It took away from my time of leisure. It took away from watching some mindless TV. But the time I sat on my porch in a rocking chair, meditating on what the Lord was putting in my heart, was a very pleasant time, a very relaxing time, a time of peace and a time of fulfillment. God is faithful. God does not ask us to do something that he hasn't equipped us to do. God is speaking to each and everyone's heart this morning. Different things in different ways. Maybe it's about being a better parent. Maybe it's about being a better child. Maybe, maybe it's about making a better effort when school starts here in less than a month. Maybe it's about being a better boss or being a better employee. Maybe, about, maybe it's about a mission field he's challenging us to go to. And all those mission fields aren't halfway around the world. We have a mission field right here in Ballotin. We have a mission field in Tracy, in Ruthton, Marshall, Tyler, Slayton. Everywhere that we walk is a mission field. Our neighbors, our friends, the people we work with. For those of us that own businesses, our mission field is our employees, is also our customers. I didn't talk to Karen about this before, and I wasn't going to say it, but God has put it, brought it to my mind right now. Last week, she had a customer call us, and he talked to her about how probably the best thing he could do would kill himself, commit suicide. Karen asked him if, he, if she could pray with him, and he said yes. And so she prayed with him and prayed the peace of God would be upon him. He'd have the mind of Christ. He thanked her, and then a little while later he called back and thanked again. Karen called this man's niece, because that's all the family he has left. 
And she thanked Karen for what she had done. And she said, yeah, we're aware of it. He's going through some treatment. We're watching him. But thank you. Thank you for what you've done. We needed to know that it's not just family and real close friends he's talking to us about, that you know, something's going on here. We need to take action now. That's listening to God and doing what he asks you to do. I think each and, one, each and every one of us can have examples like that where we have opportunities. Each and every one of us has a testimony of what God has done in our life. And so I'd ask you right now, are you staring at the water of your testimony? Or are you actually doing something and getting out there? You know, there's, we've been asked to prepare our testimonies, to arrange with Casey that we have those videotapes so they can be used. If nobody steps out into the water and does it, we won't have any videos to show. And how many of you, what you've gone through and what God has done for you will minister to someone else in this body? We all have a story to tell. And God is asking us to tell it. So I challenge you, just like you've been challenged before from up here, be preparing your testimony so it can be shared, so it can touch someone else's life, so you can make a difference. You know, I asked the question, what if Noah hadn't built the ark? Would things be different? What if Abraham hadn't obeyed God gone to a land that he didn't know. What if, what if, what if? We can go down a whole list of Bible characters and say, what if they hadn't obeyed God? You know, they were all put in that Bible for us, for examples of being obedient. And you know what? There's times they messed up big time. Think of King David. And yet God After all of that, God said, he's a man after my own heart. What if David and Bathsheba had not had the son Solomon? Would the temple have been built in Jerusalem? They were all born for such a time as this. We think of the book of Esther and that it says in there that she was born for such a time as this. I would say to each and every one of us, you were born for such a time as this. Every one of you is unique and special. And there's someone out there that needs to be encouraged by you, that needs to be challenged by you. Because God put us here at this time and at this place. It's not by accident. It's here because we're all part of that fabric of that great tapestry that the Lord designed and is knitting together. And we only see it from our perspective here. 
but God sees it as a completed work. God sees all the beauty of it. And we only see bits and pieces. So are we just going to stare at the water? Or are we going to set sail? You know, in Exodus, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And they came up against the Red Sea. In and of itself, probably not a big challenge because, you know, a few more days journey and they could work their way around the shoreline and they could get on the other side. They did not have time to do that. We know from the story, Pharaoh had sent his army after them. He had great remorse that he had kicked them out of the country and let them go. All their free labor was gone. Goodness, what was he going to do now? His people were going to have to work. Uh, we better go back and get them. So here's this great army charging at him. And here's this sea. So what are they going to do? God tells Moses to stretch out his staff. And he did. He was obedient. The seas opened up and they crossed over. There was a miracle. They didn't have boats. You think about it, they probably didn't know how to swim. And that many people trying to churn through the water would be nothing but mayhem. But God made a way when there seemed to be no way. And they passed through the water. And they all got on the other side. God used that same miracle to destroy their enemies. Because the armies of Egypt followed him in and the waters covered him and drowned him, killed them all. Later we read about Joshua. Moses is dead. The older generation has passed away in the wilderness. And now God says it's time to go into the promised land. God encouraged Joshua. He told him, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He told him to be strong and be courageous multiple times. Then he explained to him what he needed to do. And they took the ark and they stepped into the water and the waters parted. And instead of staring at this river, they walked over to the other side. They crossed over into the promised land. A land of milk and honey, but also a land of challenges. They had an enemy over there that needed to be defeated. And when they obeyed God, they were successful. And when they disobeyed God, they paid the price. It's the same way with us. There's a second verse that's part of this standing at the crossroads that I read. It's verse 17. At the very end of verse 16, I did not read this, but it said, but you said, we will not walk in it. 
God says, I appointed watchmen over you and said, listen to the sound of the trumpet, but you said, we will not listen. And it goes on to say that all the problems they had because they would not listen. I don't want to go through those problems. I want to listen and I want to obey. But will I mess up? Yeah. Will there be times when my own foolishness, my own stubbornness, I'm going to disobey. And I'm going to pay the price for it. But God says, I have redeemed you. I have forgiven your sins. He'll pick us up, put us back on the right path. I'd like us to go to Matthew 14, chapters 22 through 36. In my Bible, the heading over those passages says, Jesus walks on the water. They had just got done feeding the 5,000. They had just seen a great miracle happen. God providing when there was nothing there for all these people to eat, and yet the few loaves and fishes he provides for this vast multitude. Immediately, and I was caught by that first word, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Immediately, right now. There was no thinking about it, no wondering, no hesitation. Immediately. He did this while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed him, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat had already, was already a considerable distance from the land, Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus had told the disciples, you get in the boat and you go to the other side. They were obedient and they did exactly what he said. What happened? Was it smooth sailing? No, it was a rough sea. The wind was blowing against them. And when your only way of sailing is with sails and the wind is coming against you, it's a struggle. And the waves were rough. It was not easy for them. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking upon the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus, and here's that word again, immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He asked God for direction. He said, God, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And immediately God says, yeah, 
come, it's me. Take courage, don't be afraid, come to me, come. And Peter got out and walked on the water. Peter was doing exactly the same thing that Jesus was. He was walking on the water. He obeyed God, God provided what he needed, provided the way, and he walked on the water. But when he saw the wind, how many of us can see the wind? We don't see the wind. We see the effects of the wind. We see the, around here, we see the tall grass moving back and forth. We see the branches of the tree moving. We see the clouds moving by. You know, if we're driving a car, a truck, and it's a real windy crosswind, we feel it in the steering wheel. We feel the car being buffeted. We see the dust blow. We see the rain being driven by the wind. Those are all things that are affected by the wind. But when he saw the wind, so what did he see? He saw the rough seas. He saw the waves. He saw his environment around him churning and moving. Think about this. You're walking on this water. And the wind is blowing and the waves. Think about it when you're in a boat out there and and the lake is real choppy. It's unstable. You're moving back and forth. All of a sudden, everything moved underneath his feet. And he became fearful. And he began to sink. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He took his eyes off of the one that had commanded him to get out of the boat and walk on the water. He took his eyes off the one that was performing the miracle of allowing him to defy gravity and the laws of physics and actually walk on the water. But he saw the waves. He felt the wind. He was moving back and forth, struggling with it. Fear overcame him. He lost his vision and he began to sink. He then cried out this prayer. Lord, save me. Here's this next word. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Think about that. If Peter's sinking, and he cries out, Lord, save me, and Jesus reaches out his hand to pick him up and pull him out of the water, how close is he to the Lord? He's in within an arm's reach or shorter. He's within two, three feet. How many times are we that close to what God has promised for us, what God has commanded for us? How many times are we that close to our healing? Are we that close to our deliverance? That we're within arm's reach of accomplishing what God has asked us to do, and all of a sudden fear takes us over. The enemy comes and steals from us what God has preordained for us simply because we're fearful. 
We take our eyes off of the goal. We take our eyes off of Jesus. And we begin to lose it all. But just like Peter, we can cry out and say, Lord, Lord, save me. And he's right there. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. He's there, ready to grab hold of us, take us to safety. And as he reached out and caught him, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? For years I looked at that scripture, and this is my own opinion, but I looked at that and I thought, you know, Jesus, you're rebuking him. You know, I always read it in. Oh, you a little faith? What you have to doubt for? But as I was looking at this past week, I had a new sense of what, what is being said here. I don't believe it was said in a sarcastic tone or a way of putting Peter down. You have little faith. What do we know about faith? It says if we have a faith of a mustard seed, a little bit of faith. Peter had a little bit of faith and he stepped out of the boat and he walked on the water. He did what God commanded him, what Jesus, right standing there face to face with him, commanded him to do. I think Jesus was saying, you had the little faith to do this. Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? I'm standing right here. I'm right here. Jesus is here in our midst right now. And if you have doubts about what the Lord is calling you to do, cry out to him. Ask him to give wisdom, to give understanding. In James... I believe it's James 1, 6 through 8 is probably up on the screen. I'm going to back up. And start in verse 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Verse 6 through 8, I had put up there because I was going to tie that in with Peter and him walking on the water. It says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not accept, expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all he does. In the context, that's talking about asking for wisdom. And God will give it to us. But I thought it interesting. Because of his doubt, you're tossed like a wave of the sea. 
because of Peter's doubt, he was tossed by the waves. He became fearful and he began to sink. So what has God called you to do? What great vision has he given you or dream has he given you? Ask God to show you, and he will. He's faithful. You know, earlier in my message I asked, what if Noah hadn't built the ark? What if Abraham hadn't, go, hadn't left his home? What if Esther hadn't become queen and her people saved? from a madman who wanted to destroy all the the Israelites at that time. I'm going to mention some names now. I didn't get permission to do it. I hope I don't step on any toes, and I hope that in doing this, I'm not going to say a lot of names because I don't want to leave people out. But what if this church didn't have a Casey Bengasser? Who heard God tell her, I want you to put a team together and go to Thailand. And what if the women that went with her, who heard God, what if they just sat back and stared at that mission trip and said, well, you know, I'd really like to go and I know God's telling me I should go. And I know that uh, he says he'll equip me. And, but boy, that's halfway around the world and I don't know the culture and I got to fly and I don't know. And, you, know you can go through 101 excuses. What if they hadn't gone? How many lives would not have been changed? What if the people of this congregation had not been generous? and gave resources to that mission trip. Gave resources in excess so that not only was the trip paid for, but there was money to leave with Nightline. What if there wasn't a Charlie and Karen Oglesby who believe God has called them the minister in Rwanda. And what if they had not shared it with this body of believers? And what if a number of young men and women in this church had not heard the call or refused to hear the call who had just said, you know, that's great for someone else. I think God's calling me, but I'm not really sure. And they hadn't gone over there. Again, what if this church hadn't been generous and gave to them exceedingly and abundantly so that they were able to go and they were to minister to needs over there of those people, of those children? And what if they had not brought back the knowledge of Thousand Hills Coffee Company? And what if Jay and Kelly hadn't picked that up 
and develop that coffee shop over there? And what if the church hadn't given the finances to get it off the ground? When you buy a cup of coffee over there, it helps meet the needs of people halfway across the world that we've never met. But we're doing the work of the ministry. You know, in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. And he talks about standing before them. And he says to the sheep, I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was in prison. I was in captivity and you came and visited me. And they said to him, Lord, when did we see you in no state like that? I mean, I don't ever recall having to give you a drink of water, giving you clothes. I, and Jesus said, when you did it, to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. When you buy a travel mug from Victory Junction, you're giving well water, fresh water, clean water to children and men and women in Rwanda. You're giving the Lord a drink of water. You're doing the work of the mission that we're all called to. You know, the very first thing that God calls us to is to experience his salvation. And if there's anyone here today that hasn't answered this call, this is the time, this is the place. Right where you're at to cry out and say, Lord, just like Peter did when he was sinking in the water, Lord, save me. And immediately, he will do that. But what comes after salvation? Discipleship. The Lord wants to teach us and train us. And who does he use to teach and train a new believer? He uses us to share with them the scriptures to help them to understand what it means to be a Christian. How our lives change. They were, we're forgiven even though we stumble and fall. And after discipleship, what comes? Christ calls us to be his ambassadors. to do the works that he did. The Great Commission. We start with our neighbors. We start with our friends. Someone here have been called to leave this place. To go out, start a new work. To go to a mission field to be God's hands and feet and mouthpiece in another place. 
another city, another state, another country. Some of us are called to stay here, to be planted exactly where we are. And God gives us a discernment for us to know that this is what he's called us to do. I'm going to put in a little plug here for Abundant Life Academy. It's a great place to learn the skills that we need to share what we believe, to share the gospel, to share hope, for us to learn what it is to be a Christian. It's an opportunity. Just as our life groups are an opportunity to connect with each other so that we can grow, so that we can go out and serve. That's what it's all about. And we have opportunity right now. As this service comes to an end, we can go over to the other side, have a cup of coffee, contribute to the mission field in Rwanda, to buy some jewelry, Contribute to nightlife that some young woman can be freed from the sex trades. So I challenge you as we close to take time and not just stare at the water, not just stare at our Bible sitting on the coffee table, but to open it up, to dig deep to set sail for a new place in our life. And God will show us that place as we get there. But we have to set sail. We can't stay anchored to our old ways. We need to move on with God, each and every one of us. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every one that's here. I pray that this week would be a good week for them. Lord, that you would bring opportunities to, their, to them to minister your love, to be examples, to encourage, to share your love with others in their path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.